Well, let's begin with some uh, opening. Actually, let's let's start with the um, because we're going to be doing anyways the some of the, the preliminary liberating instructions from the Krukong Yangzab tradition. like to thank thank you Al for Alan for letting us use this beautiful space beautiful, beautiful lovely and, uh, and thank you uh, Crystal Mountain for sponsoring this beautiful this teaching so let's see let's begin and let's go through some of the common preliminaries as people are coming in This excellent body of mind with leisure and endowments will be difficult to obtain in the future. Right now, accomplish state of the unsurpassed Samantabhadra to meaningfully benefit others. Also, it's not certain when the hateful enemy of this present precious body, the Mara of Death, will arrive. I and other beings in permanent time of death being uncertain. And since there's no opportunity for happiness wherever one is born in samsara, and since happy existence was never seen, I'll enter the path of nirvana in order for this body with leisure uh, and wealth to possess meaning, I'll abandon the three non-virtuous poisonous afflictions, that's greed, hatred, delusion, and develop diligence and virtuous actions to protect the vows and commitments of the three doors. And whatever tradition you, uh, you uh, practice in, uh, visualizing a refuge tree, and in this case, uh, before us on a wish-granting tree upon a jeweled lion throne, Lotus and Moon Disc, is one's guru in the form of Guru Rinpoche appearing with all physical ornaments, robes, in front is the deity Hayagriva, his right Sh Shakyamuni Buddha, behind him are the volumes of sublime Dharma, to his left the Bodhisattvas and lowers the three families. Above them in all directions they each have their own retinue, and directly in front of the throne are the host of Dharmapala's oath-bound guardians and treasure lords appearing like a massing heap of rain clouds. So let's take refuge, let's undertake refuge. From now until the attainment of unsurpassed awakening. All sentient beings equal space go for refuge to the Guru, source of all blessings. Go for refuge to the deities, bestower of supreme city. We go for refuge to the Kinis, dispel of all obstacles. We go for refuge to the Buddha, the first among humans. We go for refuge to the sublime Dharma, peaceful and free from attachment. We go for refuge to the Sangha, the supreme field of accumulation. We go for refuge to the Dharmapalos, masters of activity. Namo
kind of in contemplating the inseparability of the sources of refuge and one's self-nature. And then generating, let's generate some uh, infinite oceans of bodhicitta. That will be the theme for the next couple days. It's actually always the theme. May all sentient beings of Sarah be free from suffering, be joyful, and truly abide supreme happiness. I create the supreme mind impartial to all in order to attain the heart of awakening. In order that I may fully benefit the beings of six realms, I must attain the stage of Buddhahood in this very lifetime. Therefore, I'll be very diligent in this unsurpassed teaching, the path of luminously clear Vajra essence. Good, I think I'll uh, stop, stop there. And let's meditate for a few moments, uh, for a little while. Uh, begin, and this, in this case, whatever uh, practice you'd like to do, and in this sense, um, visualize your body in whatever uh, meditational day. It can be Shakyamuni Buddha, it could be Chanarizi, it could be Vajradini, whatever particular form you generally practice. But not you. Not as you normally appear, but as a fully awake being. And visualizing if you have a root teacher, root guru above your head, in whatever form you usually practice. And um, because this, uh, this uh, practice will be about supreme uh, bodhicitta, your body in the form of a fully awakened being, and as you uh, breathe out, uh, you're already uh, totally purified, uh, totally uh, cleansed of all defilements, and uh, breathing out white and rainbow uh, rays of light to uh, all sentient beings. Imagine that they soak it in, they just absorb uh, all this uh, glorious uh, radiance and sound. Beautiful. It could be ba, 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 ba. And all these beings absorbing this uh, radiance uh, from your um, infinitely sized uh, body. And then you uh, breathe back through your nostrils all the um, uh, afflictive states, all unwholesome uh, states that beings have absorb it through your two nostrils uh, into your body, absorbed into the heart, and of course it is transformed because it's the nature of uh, shunyata, of emptiness, and it turns into uh, radiant light, just open, sheer uh, lucidity in your heart, <coughs> and you can contain all of the suffering states, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> all the suffering states 
of all sentient beings. And you breathe out uh, clear light, clear luminous uh, rainbow light. It's absorbed um, and it comes back in. So let's just do that for a few minutes and uh, dwell on this uh, unequaled, most beautiful So I'd very, be very happy also to hear uh, what, what, um, what's on your minds, sort of, a <laughs> little bit, <laughs> tiny, tiny bit. And uh, if you have any specific questions about, about your uh, practices and things, about the Dharma, happy to, to um, answer. But uh, I think as you saw the announcement, uh, the 
theme I'd like to explore, uh, which, which I always explore, doesn't really matter, just one form or another, is the nature of uh, bodhicitta, because it's such a profound topic and it, it, it must set the uh, tone and direction, dynamic, for everything that we do. Um, I think it's worth uh, returning to that, uh, not just the word, the, uh, the meaning of the word, but the, the practice, the uh, understanding, how it pervades all practices of, uh, of, of Vajrayana, Mahayana, uh, over and over and over again. And it's a great way to start. So it's a beautiful, beautiful way to start uh, any any uh, teaching um, discourse of Dharma or practice. So you'll you'll notice that uh, in this uh, preliminary liberating instruction, uh, when we uh, got to the section of uh, generating bodhicitta, on I think it's on page nine. You'll see that at the end, it has a, a mysterious, uh, a mysterious, at the very end it says, a mysterious few words of phrase, luminously clear Vajra essence. And uh, if you don't translate that, uh, you wouldn't know that that's actually the central theme of the uh, path of Nyingma. So it was explained by uh, Dujon Rinpoche and his great, His Holiness Dujon Rinpoche and his great treatise on the history of, of the Nyingma. Uh, this, uh, this word, um, Oso, actually in Tibetan, Oso Dorje Ningpo. Some of you may have heard these different words before. Oso, light, <coughs> radiance, and Dorje, enlightenment, uh, unobstructed, or um, um, in, um, imperishable, all kinds of different meanings. And Ningpo, some, some beings actually have the name which can mean heart, uh, essence. Uh, some translators, especially the person that translated, the two people that translated uh, His Holiness's uh, very famous book, uh, used the word nucleus, which throws a lot of people off. Like, nucleus, what, what is that? So those are three words. Also, Dorje Ningpo is really the theme for today. And we have to approach what that is because as uh, His Holiness Dujimpoche said, that's really it. That's the whole um, core of the entire uh, Nyingma um, um, early translation uh, school or ancient tra school of the, of the ancients uh, path. Uh, so uh, this, this prayer, this contemplation, which appears, really appears, not quite, appears to be uh, the four Brahma Viharas or the four uh, immeasurables or the four beyond measure emotions is actually um, prayer, uh, the most extraordinary deep contemplation uh, of the highest uh, nature and what we're actually uh, becoming. So that's actually that, those um, four lines <laughs> is really the theme for the next uh, two days. It's always a theme actually as it turns out. <coughs> so um, it's very high, high teaching, but it can appear to be, oh yeah, that's the four Brahmihars. Oh yeah, I've done that before. Four Brahmas, but actually, it's it's a little different. It's the four Brahmas, and then raised up a notch, way up. Okay, so that's that's really what we're we're, we're up to. We'll come back to that in a little bit. So.
So as I said, I did a little, little writing last night. And, uh, you know, usually we carry a laser printer or a printer everywhere we go now. So I didn't print today for you, but maybe, maybe as we go along on Friday, we can print this out for you. And I think it's actually good. I've been doing a lot of uh, handouts these days, lots, mountains. And there's, it's, it's actually very good, but also it's detrimental. Because uh, if you receive handouts, there's a tendency not to really study them. You read it once, you go, okay, got it. Or you put it away somewhere. Uh, so there's a great advantage and a great disadvantage. One of the great uh, advantages is you have something. <laughs> One of the great disadvantages is you maybe haven't listened deeply enough or got it while you're hearing the class. And sometimes uh, the um, statements, the prayers, the statements, the pith instructions are not written down by hand, so therefore they don't go in so deeply. So to, to uh, start, let me actually in the knapsack there, uh, cool, a number of texts, so I'm going to show because not everybody here has been perhaps studying the Dharma, or I don't know uh, all of your traditions. So, so uh, I've got some texts here that are really sort of uh, very famous core texts. There's a few more in there. That's good. Ah, wonderful. So about a thousand years ago, Ajay um, Gampopa, one of the great masters of the Kagyu tradition wrote a book, a great, what's called a Lamrim, great Mahayana Lamrim, um, which contains all the stages and steps and practices of the Mahayana uh, in this book called the Jewel Ornament Liberation. This is the most recent uh, translation by um, uh, Konchuk uh, Rinpoche or Gelsen Rinpoche. It's a beautiful translation. So I'll be uh, using this uh, quite a bit. Uh, but uh, let's start, let's start first of all, um, on his um, explanation of what bodhicitta is. We may as well start with trying to find this word bodhicitta in Sanskrit. So normally if you, if you, if you just translate the word bodhicitta, which, which underpins all of Mahayana, all of, all of Vajrayana tantric teachings, that's, that's what it starts with. And, and actually it's beautiful. You know, I must say that every time there's teaching by uh, Drikung Antoine Boucher, who's just a monk from India, Every single class, no matter what the class is, he will give a half an hour, sometimes an hour talk on bodhicitta. That's it. Doesn't matter what, what the topic is. It could be the vast expanse of the nature of mind. It could be the three roots practice. It doesn't, doesn't matter. It always starts. Every single class starts with bodhicitta, bodhicitta, bodhicitta. The root, the high, the high root. Uh, so the definition of bodhicitta, if you translate it directly, it can give you some meaning, but it doesn't often give enough. Obviously, uh, it would be a chitta, which is a mind. That's easy, right? Not. Uh, and uh, um, bodhi, which is enlightenment. So you have enlightenment mind. Great, got it, done. I can go home now. But uh, this enlightenment mind. Uh, needs um, um, uh, years, years of, of 
unfurling of uh, practice, of unfurling, of, of study, of, uh, of hearing, of practice, and so on, contemplation. Because uh, it's, it's one word that encapsulates an entire uh, lifetimes, lifetimes of practice, study, uh, development. So uh, take some time, and there's, a, there's giant chapters here on this. And there's also in these up, there's also love and compassion, and so on. Okay. So uh, he quotes, uh, he says, from the uh, Ornament of Clear Realization, cultivation of bodhicitta is the desire for perfect, complete enlightenment for others' benefit. So uh, I've also written here that it's, it seems simple. Isn't that simple? We just want to wish that all, uh, all life becomes a free and awake and completely clear. And you think, great, I can, I can do that. Actually, it's a supremely um, high task because it just keeps unfolding uh, the scope of what is possible to lead beings to awakening, including oneself. Uh, you think, oh, it gets uh, easier and easier. In some ways, it gets vaster and vaster, vaster, not harder, just vaster and vaster, vaster understanding and possibilities. So, uh, so this desire, and, and I know that's not a very Buddhist word, but it's, tr it's used a lot. You know, it's funny, eh? in Buddhism, they say, grasp the bodhicitta. Thought we weren't supposed to. <laughs> Have desire for enlightenment. I thought we weren't, weren't going to do that. Desire all good outcomes. Well, that's what desire is. But if you don't actually have a tremendous amount of force of desire to uh, awaken and, and liberate for all beings, um, there's going to be uh, uh, no movement, really. No movement. And, you know, one day, I'll, I'll tell you, this is a funny thing. I think it's funny, but it's coming. Many, many years ago, I was on a boat trip with Namjoon Bisho. We were in the Solomon Islands. And uh, it was on my mind, this thing about bodhicitta, bodhicitta, bodhicitta. And what, what was on my mind is, how do I get, how do I, how do I help trigger in people this desire that there's nothing else to do but liberate and for other people? It was just like a mystery. What is it? People could hear the Dharma for years. They can hear the Dharma, and they go, that's nice, makes common sense, and they just, that's it for, for the rest of their lifetime. So I, one morning, we had a, well, one day we had a big storm. And uh, that night, you know, we were up most of the night, and got up around, uh, got up deck around 5 o'clock, and there was Namjur and Bichet, um sitting up there. And uh, I guess both of us hadn't slept. I know he didn't, because my room was right across from his. And uh, got up and pretended we were both fine, we were both seasick, you know, it was like, oh. And uh, so we're sitting there, and the, the sun was coming up. I said, you know, I don't ask you very many questions, but I got one for you here that's been kind of on my mind for quite some time. What is it that triggers the bodhicitta, the bodhicitta to become conscious, a conscious force in a person's life? What is it? Like what? What? I said, he said to me, I don't know. I wish I did. I don't know. Good question. I don't know. Ripen karma. But what is it that actually all that, all that ripening has to come together for it to work? 
So I was asking a little bit different. What triggers it? But, but obviously it's karma. So obviously it's the sum total of a, of, a, of a being's karmic propensities. So you can have what, was, what I was saying to him. I remember a bit of a preamble. You can have the nicest, sweetest, loving, compassionate, intelligent, bright person. And for an entire lifetime, it does not click in. So I said, I, I told him, I said, this is, I remember, I remember, that's right, I remember sitting down and saying, I have a puzzle here. <laughs> Why is it that an intelligent, bright, compassionate, loving being who even studies the Dharma and it doesn't click in, it doesn't just pop open? So I don't know. I don't know. It's like, good question. This is really something. So for you to be here uh, listening to these talks on bodhicitta is an extraordinary, means you have an extraordinary amount of merit. So you probably, you know, as a Westerner, beating yourself up and saying, God, I'm not enlightened and I should be and what's wrong with me and how come I don't practice enough and maybe I practice too much or I don't practice right, I'm practicing wrong, I'm practicing right, whatever million statements, is that right? That's why I said I don't really want to know what you're thinking too much, but a little bit. <laughs> this is usually the same, same questions. <laughs> uh, it, it is, you know, what is it? But, but the fact that you're actually here uh, says a lot about the karmic uh, history of your being, your stream of being, in being able to actually want this. This is extraordinary. Even when a person says they want it, it may be 10, 15, 20, 30 years before they ever get around to actually sinking their teeth into it. It's really something, isn't it? So we make a great distinction between meditating and bodhicitta. And Anta Rinpoche, bless his heart, very, very awakened being, quoting uh, Jitsun Sungon, the founder of the Drikong um, uh, Kagyu tradition, who was very, very, supposedly a fully awakened being, is an extraordinary being. Even from an early age, he ex exhibited extraordinary qualities. Uh, he said that compassion is not bodhicitta. We have to separate the two. Isn't that something? Because so many books say compassion is bodhicitta. It's not. He said compassion is relative. Bodhicitta is something else. That is the fruition. What is the cause of beings' affliction and what is the path of fruition for those beings? That's bodhicitta. Very interesting. He makes a clear distinction, as does Ansar Rinpoche. Yeah. But not compassion. Exactly. Thank you. Perfect. It must include compassion, uh, relative compassion, as its foundation. Mm -hmm. So if you don't practice relative compassion, which, which so many teachers are teaching today, relative compassion, relative compassion, you could never have bodhicitta. Mm -hmm. But to stay in relative compassion without understanding also Dorje Ningpo, ultimate nature of compassion and strive for the ultimate nature of compassion means no bodhicitta. Very cool. And that distinction there, when he said that in, uh, recently in, in Sopane, I said, I'm going to give some talks on that. That's what gave me the, the, uh, the idea uh, to, to what, what, what would this series of talks be. Well, this needs to be, be talked about. So saying we want all beings to be free of suffering is 
uh, both relative and absolute, but it usually stays as relative. I want all being, what, so what, what is it, what's in the way? But we actually have to find out, we have to delve very deeply into what is the, what are the afflictions of beings? What is the real affliction, right? What is the afflictive states? Where is it? And what is the path uh, to the fruition? See, these, these simple statements actually have so much in them. So, as again, Pope quotes, cultivation of bodhicitta is a desire for perfect, complete enlightenment uh, of others' benefit. There, there is today, uh, that's fine, this is a personal, I'm just giving a personal note, there is a, a tendency today by many people not to um, really want to attain full enlightenment. And I think you've heard, maybe some of you have studied with me before have heard me on this. Um, I believe that if you don't strive fully, then you strive partially. I, I believe it's a disservice. Uh, one uh, should, every time one practices and has a Dharma talk and gets together, the statement should be total liberation. And because if you say, even though you may not say it, it might be implied tiny little bit of liberation would be nice, right? I'll just do a practice and I'll just be a little bit liberated. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be easier? I believe then you, you uh, may reach uh, one quarter of that tiny little bit. But if you strive for complete total liberation, you're trying to place your uh, consciousness, a drive, desire, for the highest possible attainment even in this lifetime, if you don't attain to full, complete enlightenment, which, which many of us won't, by the way, it's okay. We'll strive, but many of us won't. It's a very high thing to do. Uh, maybe after death, maybe another lifetime, don't worry about it. But if we strive for the highest possible attainment this lifetime, then at least it brings us up like a bootstrap, you know, bootstrap? It brings us up very high in this lifetime. So my feeling is, this is just something that's been on my mind for, oh, the last 40 years. <laughs> if you reach low, you get low. In crafts, in the arts, in the sciences, generally in life, if you reach low, you go low. And I feel, I'm just speaking personally, but it's also very classic. What you aspire to, you reach to. If you, if you aspire low, you get low. If you aspire very, very high, you may not get all of it. But you'll certainly get some of it. Do you, do you, do you see what I mean? It's kind of like a person setting out for, from Vancouver to, uh, let's say, San Francisco, which is a fairly direct route down the coast, yes? But they don't have a clear route map. And nor do they have a clear desire to get to San Francisco, but it's in their mind to get to San Francisco. They've heard about San Francisco, it's lovely. But they travel all through the Midwest states. And instead of it becoming a four day or five day road trip, it becomes a very, very long road trip. And they might get stuck in beautiful places uh, in, in uh, Oklahoma and uh, Idaho and Michigan and Washington State, yeah? And maybe even live there for three or four years and forget that they're actually uh, planning to get to San Francisco. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? 
But if you are really clear through teaching, through practice, through study, and actually trusting that the mentors the, and the, the teachers are actually uh, um, on, really truly on, especially the Buddha, uh, then one aims for, let, let's use it as a metaphor, San Francisco. Of course, people in San Francisco, of course you would aim for San Francisco, right? We go, of course it would be San Francisco. We, we all know that that is where it all flows out of. Could be Toronto. It could be Winnipeg. Could be could be any little town. Could be Kelowna. Do you, do you see? This is a very important point. So, the desire that word desire. I'm going to pick up. I I could almost spend a whole morning on that one statement. I got five pages here. I was going to talk about this morning, but that one statement, the desire, is the key point. So what I said to Namjoon Rinpoche on that boat trip, on the Solomon Islands, in the Solomon Islands is. How does that trigger get triggered? How do we do that? What's missing here? So you get a loving, compassionate, clear, wonderful human being. But that next leap, which is total desire for complete Oso Dorje Ningpo, whatever Dorje, Oso Dorje Ningpo is, which we have to explore. That attainment of also Dorje Ningpo is Bodhicitta. How do we trigger that total, utter desire? Okay. Now, this is that's a big project. Is it possible that it can't be triggered if there is? It can because it's causal. So you have to provide the best place. That's why when I walked here and I saw a shrine, beautiful shrine, I go, and Tonka's like, wow! There's somebody that actually understands or believes in support for the Dharma. Congratulations. Those are manifestations of bodhicitta. All kinds of people say, oh, I don't want anything. I don't need it. No. Actually, all of those are pictures and um, um, physical manifestations is the manifestation of bodhicitta speaking, speaking out. I like shrines. I like big shrines, and I like pictures all over the place, especially pictures of teachers, because they're living representations of the Nirmanakaya, of the uh, the the radiance of uh, Oso Dorje Ningpo. When you look at a teacher, all these different beautiful teachers there, they are displays of Oso Dorje Ningpo in physical form. Once you recognize it, it's beautiful. Wow. We could have beautiful things. We have minerals, giant crystals, right? Beautiful flowers, correct? Beautiful rugs, right? There are. We have the most beautiful things here, but they don't speak in the same way. Unless you have the mind that can do that. And a lot of people don't. We could have the most beautiful gemstones and rare flowers and textiles and, right? Paintings, most beautiful paintings, of maybe a, a Rothko or two. Rothko or two, some Da Vinci's, all kinds of expressions of very uh, wondrous minds. Jackson Pollock, all kinds of things. Yeah. A Lauren Harris or two, a few of the group of seven. Wouldn't that be wonderful in here? Yeah? I suspect maybe some of Alan's photos, your, your professional photographer. Yeah. And you go, wow, this is really beautiful. 
but it's not the same, ultimately it is, but not the same as the uh, actual manifestations, representations of the Buddha bodies. So how to trigger this desire? Well, sometimes it takes a lot of teaching and a lot of practice, of course. And more and more and more and more and more. It doesn't have to. Not in the, vi in the Vajrayana path, it doesn't have to involve great suffering. In, in ah, yes. And actually, not so much the feeling of great suffering, although that is taught. But if understanding of the, of the origin and reasons for that suffering is not comprehended, then all we have, which is good, but not enough, not sufficient, is we have a sympathetic compassion. It's not enough for liberation. So the feeling of someone else suffering, which is called empathy, which is beautiful, we need it, actually can also get in the way. Because it doesn't mean there's any wisdom understanding as to why that suffering goes on and on. Let me give you an example. If you go to, out to the streets of Vancouver, just drive downtown, it doesn't matter what, and you pause at the street lights and you look around in your car or walk, walk around, what are people up to? What are they doing? Have you ever asked that question? What are they all doing? They don't know. Well, some of them are drinking. Yeah, but, but, but we can go around. Someone's having a hot dog, right? Someone's off to a meeting. How many, how many different things are people doing out there in the city? What would you think? How many? That's right. But what are they really doing? Looking for happiness. See, this is it. This is really it. So even though there's an infinite display, array, of human behaviors and human questions, what's really, what are human beings actually, truly on about? Do you, do you see? That's it. And that's the difference. So you can go around, oh, that person needs food, that person needs education, that person needs a coffee, that person needs uh, therapy, that person needs yoga, that person needs physical, what, oh, we can go around, that person needs some more money, that person has a few billion, but they need another billion to do the deal, and they're really su suffering, right, because they they're, they're don't have sufficient funds. Imagine, eh? We've got a couple billion, but we're short a billion. And that's a hardship, because if we don't get that billion, we're going to lose all those other billion. So you think it'd be the same as someone who says, I have a hundred, but I need another hundred, and if I don't get that other hundred, I'm going to lose the other hundred. Do you, do you understand? Same. So what, what is the core of all the afflictive states? And how about the person who's happy? Afflictive too, because it's going to go and they're going to want to be happy again. So it's just a life of pursuing happiness. That's good. So when it says the understanding, when entrepreneurship says understanding uh, suffering, understanding dukkha, it's not just understanding the particulars of dukkha, it's understanding the, the actual origin, what the Buddha taught. And I think a lot of Westerners shy away from this. This is my feeling. This is my observation, that a lot of Westerners really will say, oh yeah, it's afflictive states, it's self, but they actually don't delve into this enough. And I don't mean like, <laughs> although you will, guaranteed. You, you, you study human beings and, and life, all life forms, you will sit and retreat and cry your eyes out. 
you, you should. At some point, many times, you'll cry your eyes out, you'll bawl your eyes out. It's overwhelmingly difficult, this existence for any creature, because it is so bewildering. You just watch a rotifer under a microscope. You've seen rotifers, huh? They're like the big sharks of the of the salt water and fresh water worlds. They're going around, they're hunting all the time. They're hunting, they're just busy hunting. They're bopping all over the place. They rarely ever stop. Occasionally they do. All these creatures feeding and eating and mating. And usually not mating, just dividing over and over and over again. What are they up to? So you can see, I'm not trying to flatter you, but uh, I always find it remarkable, you in the room here are actually doing something that's remarkable, which is you're going to consider, once again, because I suspect you've been to other Dharma talks, right? And you've practiced Dharma, right? Once again, you're going to consider the desire for total, complete, utter liberation for all sentient life. That is extremely rare thought in a world such as this. And if you heard um, uh, President Obama's, he still is president, President Obama's uh, farewell speech, and did any of you hear it? It's quite something, eh? Uh, you, can, you can see that his words and his statements and his ideas are extremely rare on this planet. Very rare. This, is, this, this uh, desire for bodhicitta is even rarer. It would be literally like uh, walking along the Fraser River and you discover a piece of platinum nugget this big. That's about how rare it would be. Yes? Or a large diamond already cut. <laughs> like about that size. Like the size of Cullen diamond, okay? Uh, that would be about how rare it is. So this, this having this talk and having this um, a teaching uh, has been historically an incredibly uh, rare uh, moment. It is. It's that precious. It's that rare. Being a human being is extremely rare. Even though there's 7 billion people on the planet, when it says uh, we, we pass through that pretty quickly, the rare and precious human body, uh, if you take two scoops of soil outside here, you have more sentient creatures in those two scoops than there are all human beings on planet Earth. Take all the uh, trees and creatures in one square kilometer of Vancouver and you probably have a trillion, no, perhaps a million times more sentient life than there are all human beings on this planet. This is a very rare form. And it's cognitively very sophisticated, which gets us into trouble. So yesterday I was saying to Cole in the car, what are all these people doing? And Cole goes, no, 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 he's looking for something. What are all these people doing? I said, now I'm going to be a robot. So I said, from a point of view of a robot, all these human beings are data input devices. That's all. They're data input and then they work on the data and they spit it out. From the point of view of an IT person or a robot, this is what we're doing all the time. Is, isn't that right? 
We take in huge amounts of data. We move it around, work on it, stories, ideas, you name it, past history. And what do we do with it? We do something with it. We move our arms about, we hug people, we kiss people, we make business deals, we go to the bank, we, whatever we do, right? We drive cars, is it story? No, we're doing it. Could you imagine though, a human being that goes, wait a minute, I'm gonna take all this data in, but out is gonna come what? The radiance of the enlightened mind for all sentient beings. Are you kidding? That's how rare it is. That's how rare. So President Obama's speech is incredibly rare. <laughs> it's like a precious jewel on this planet. It should be recorded and you know, put up and heard in schools. It's amazing. It was amazing. Absolutely brilliant, intelligent, loving, compassionate speech. Rare as rare can be. And bodhicitta is even rare. It's like a very jewel. Okay? And I, I have a quote from Martin Luther, Luther King. He was quoting from Martin Luther King. So he said, it's beautiful. Martin he's quoted as saying, and her beautiful beautiful quote by someone who knew him, who who used to march with Martin Luther King, uh, was it was it John Clark? John Clark. He's a senator in the United States. He's the last of the six, the great six that marched in the sixties. Used to get their heads beaten in, and concussions, by the state police just so they could vote. You know, it's it was illegal to vote, right? They weren't allowed to vote by the state police. They had to actually march to vote, and they used to get concussions and beaten up and put in jail, uh, while the state police broke the law. Quite something, eh? Brave people. With Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King said, I quote, I have decided to stick with love. Beautiful. Hate is too great a burden to bear. He's such a great writer. So that's a very beautiful statement. I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. It's very hard work to keep hatred going. Imagine meeting Martin Luther King with a state trooper with a nightstick hitting you on the head and saying, oh, you know, I love you, your, your hatred is a lot of work. Because then you have to lock me up, you have to feed me, you have to have a, a grimace on your face, your muscles are very tight, and if you actually just loved and were open about human beings and sentient creatures and things, you'd actually be a lot easier life. But, but you're gonna take the hard road, which is hate. In this case, in this case of the Dharma, the, the I have decided, this is our statement, not my statement, but can be, it is my statement, but we have to say, we can turn this around and say, I have decided that bodhicitta, also Dorje Ningpo, from the sta standpoint, of, or the point of view of the Nyingma tradition, that also Dorje Ningpo, I've decided that is going to be my life, not hatred, not, not greed, hatred, delusion. And that tells all of it. It's actually very simple, it's karma. It's either you uh, uh, like and choose because of habit patterns, greed, hatred, delusion, pride, jealousy, right? Or you keep focusing on what? Also Dorje Ningpo. 
Bodhicitta, 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 bodhicitta. If you're saying mantras of Chenrezig, you're saying mantras of Vajranini, you're saying mantras of Mahakala, you're saying mantras of Tara, uh, mantras of Shakyamuni, uh, mantras of uh, Vajrasattva, mantras of, oh, looks like Yeshi Shogol or Machi Lugdron. Uh, um, go around to all these different figures. Oh, Amitabha, doesn't matter. All those hundred meditational deities are what? Also, Dorje Ningpo, Bodhicitta, staring you in the face. They're asking you to be that manifestation. I like that. I like. I really like that quote by Martin Luther King. And I, I think we can apply that to Bodhicitta the same way. I decide to stick with Bodhicitta. So love is relative, beautiful. We need, we need that as as Saskia said. That's the foundation. You have to have love. You have to have compassion. But uh, in the Dharma, Mahayana Vajrayana, what do we stick with? Bodhicitta. Everything we do is bodhicitta, bodhicitta, bodhicitta. It's very easy to pay lip service to, isn't it? Yeah, I'm practicing bodhicitta. But it's one thing to have it in your heart, which means clear understanding, clear also dorje ningpo, and say that I practice bodhicitta. That's a good first step, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? What do you practice? Instead of saying, I'm, I'm a dharma practitioner, I'm a, I'm a nigma practitioner, I'm a, a kagyu practitioner, I'm a mahamudra practitioner, I'm a this, I'm a that. If you say, I, I actually practice bodhicitta, the enlightenment mind. Wouldn't that be something? And for people that don't understand, you could say, I practice compassion of all forms, relative and absolute compassion. But they don't, of course, know, know, don't know what also Dorje Ningpo is, which many people don't. You, you all do, but not many people. So uh, as Jigsum Sudman said, um, uh, compassion and bodhicitta are separate. He was, he, by the way, he's a very brave teacher. He said a whole bunch of things that pissed a whole bunch of people off as enlightened being. So one of these days we'll go through the, his, great, his great text outline of the entire Dharma. And there's things in there that are very controversial. Not to you. You would, you would, you would these aren't for you. But Moy. And he had these, these points of view uh, from his standpoint of things that were just amazing to, to hear. But he'd come out with statements like that, that compassion and bodhicitta are separate. They are, one rests on the other, but they're actually separate things. He was very clear. And Antrim Prashay recently said the same thing. He said, hey, you have to understand, this is something, this is something very vast and big. So you might want to write this down from um, uh, my beloved teacher, Drikung Lo Antrim uh, quote, bodhicitta focuses on the fruition and the cause of liberation for all beings. Therefore, you have to know what the fruition is. You have to get a pretty good idea over and over again of uh, aiming for enlightenment because that's actually the path. And everything is, uh, is, is going to that. So... Uh, bodhicitta focuses on the fruition and the cause of liberation. And that's where we have to turn our mind. The cause of liberation. The path of liberation. Putting it all together. 
Bring it all to God. The, the, the importance of understanding suffering, or dukkha, I'll use the word dukkha, is so vital because if one doesn't day and night understand it, then we are always looking for happy states, transient happy states. But if we realize, which is a great stage of insight in the Southeast Asian tradition, in the, in the uh, northern schools, the, the insight, which is overwhelming, incontroversial, the insight that every single millisecond is frictional within a sentient creature. Frictional, frictional, fictional, that's later. <laughs> that's later, that's a later realization, but that it really an important one. Absolute friction. It's anxiety-ridden. You know when people say, you know, I've got anxiety. You know, I, I, I'm kind of weird, you know. Of course you do. All creatures do. All creatures. Wh wh why, why, you know, people going around, I've got some anxiety. You should. And actually, if you go into deep, the reason you won't go into do Regis Regis is because you're going to realize you're riddled with it. <laughs> you're looking for happiness. You're riddled with it. Any creature should be. It's very, very difficult to maintain a physical form. But for us, it's very complicated because it's food, it's mating. Oh my God. <laughs> mating. Is anybody here a psychotherapist? Okay. Some of you are in the, in the therapeutic arts. How much confusion and anxiety is around mating alone? Of some sort. It's huge. It's what human beings are on about. What do I do about mating? We call it something else, right? What do I do about relationships? What do I do about this? What do I do about that? How do, do they love me? Do they not love me? My God, we should be anxious. Food, clothing, shelter, addictions. Every single human being has addictions. Some type. So what's this business about you shouldn't have anxiety? Should. Crippling anxiety? No. Some anxiety from time to time? Yes. Why? It's a very complex, difficult world for any form, any creature to actually manifest. It's tough. And if you were to feel that every moment through insight, you know what I mean? Just, just like this. You'd feel your body in a state of movement, just trying to be something, anything. And if your mind turns to understand what that is, it's just actually just trying to be in a good state. And it can't. <laughs> on a gross level, it can't. But on a microscopic level, it doesn't stop. It just doesn't stop doesn't even stop at night. How about mentally now? Have you taken hold of the experience of insight? They call it the experience of insight, which they think is very, very strong. First stage of insight is you go, God, am I busy? I'm doing nothing but thinking about thi objects 
either running away from objects or thinking about objects I want all day long, correct? That's friction. It takes a huge amount of brain, brain power to actually run that system. Much, much less power than a computer, by the way. Only takes a few watts to figure out amazing things. It's like to do this. That's just a couple watts for a computer. Oh my God, it's like volts, it's like amps, just to do that. Until one appreciates the stuckness, the friction, the wanting, the desire to have anything but what is. And that all creatures are doing that, not just you. All creatures are doing that. They're in the same boat. So when I say, what are your questions? That's okay. I know you have some personal ones, but they're actually the same as the person beside you. But we have to get down to the nub of it. You know the core of it, the essence of it. What's the essence of it? This essence of it is actually coming to grips with the nature of all sentient beings in a state of wanting, wanting and not having a what they want. And we're so clever as human beings, we think we know what we want. Then we don't know what we want. Then we think we know what we want. Then we don't know what we want. Like right now, what are you here for? You want something. Do you know what you want? Can you give us that text? <laughs> yeah, I'll give you another one too. I've got a whole stack of them. How about that book? I want to read that book. And usually if I start teaching, Pearson says, you know, first, what, what book is that? What page? <laughs> First thing, give me something. Okay. Give me a handout. It's fantastic, isn't it? So instead of getting depressed about it, or anxious about this, actually go, hallelujah, oh my God, this is amazing. This is actually what the organism is up to, moment by moment by moment. So when it says in the text, entrepreneurship, Jitsun Suman, all these various great teachers, Namjoon Rinpoche, yeah? You have to actually have insight into suffering. They're not going like this. Everybody's suffering. Yeah, you will do that. But when you pass through that, you go, so what actually are we really up to? You have to feel it. You can't just think about it. You've got to feel it. And it's uncomfortable. You all know that, right? Being by yourself and looking at your own organism <laughs> will be at times very blissful and at times what? Totally uncomfortable. And then you can go, but how do I get comfortable? Well, first of all, you shouldn't. That's the problem. Got millions of people meditating to be happy and they shouldn't be. It's just more suffering. If you want wisdom, then you actually just have to stop and experience what the creature is actually up to. Otherwise, just more. You'll ask for next meditation technique. So uh, do, we, do we need people to be happy? Absolutely. Relatively happy, yes. If you're not happy, then you're not here. So at least most of you here in the room are relatively compared to a lot of people, relatively happy, which is, a good, which is the ground, love, happy, the ground for bodhicitta to arise. 
if your entire uh, day is spent, I need food, I need food, I need shelter, I need food, I need shelter, mm -hmm. or whatever else you've got going, and I'm miserable because of it, it's very, very difficult to generate holy chicken. It's the last thing in the world you're going to want to do. Or a war-torn area, that's the last thing. And actually, they're right. So uh, you've heard, uh, I'm sure, many times, because all of you, I think, in the room have studied uh, the Dharma. You then you'll find out, just to, to cut through a lot of uh, chatter, uh, is that, in fact, uh, what we are bewildered about is we don't know what this experience is. Now, it's not usually framed that way. That's usually the way I frame. I usually speak about it. Uh, they teachers usually say, uh, we don't know our own minds. Is that correct? Isn't that what? hundreds of Dharma teachers are saying, we just don't know our minds. But actually, when we say we don't know our own minds, um, we actually, just to be straight and clear about the English, or the, the, the way, we don't know what this experience actually is. We think we do, but we don't know what this is. That's what's confusing. We don't know a clue. If I was to go out to the streets of Vancouver, and say to the person on the street, by the way, your mind is totally obstructed, free, naturally compassionate, and luminous. That is actually who you, what your mind actually is, and has no basis whatsoever. You'll not ever find it. You know what kind of look you're going to get. Which psychiatric <laughs> department have you just come out of? That's how far away we are from knowing what this experience is. For most people, human beings and creatures, all experience is obstructive. It has some obstruction that we're trying to manipulate. Does that make sense? Let's get down to the root of it. There's an obstruction that we have to manipulate to do something with. It turns out there's nothing that's obstructive and nothing we need to actually do. That's how far away we are from understanding and why there's so much suffering. Okay. So, this is all bodhicitta. So, what are we trying to do that is going to be difficult in this society. What is every, almost every message of this society giving us today? Bye-bye. Hmm? Bye-bye what? Liberation. Right. Buy happiness. Buy happiness. Buy happiness. Buy happiness. And it's going to work, does it? Mm. No. It doesn't work. We know that. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, it can lead to absolute misery. Most studies show it does. But the message is overwhelming like an addictive thing on buy 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 and you'll be you'll be happy hmm? and what is the dharma saying what is the whole history some total teaching of the dharma saying over and over again it's very different Realize your mind, realize this experience, realize the root, and you'll be happy. Okay. So, um, 
as the Buddha pointed out, many great masters like Guru Rinpoche pointed out, if you actually don't know and you don't have the strength, which does take merit, to actually examine that which makes you relatively happy and that which doesn't, and that which makes your mind relatively awake and that which doesn't, that those environmental factors on the inside and the outside that give you virtue, wholesome speech, wholesome mind, wholesome bodily activities, if you can't sort those out, then the life is amassing more what? Confusion. Do you, do you follow? So, so it's very easy today for people to want to meditate, which is what we're doing right now, by the way. This is meditation. It's very high meditation. But there's many people that would like to meditate. But the confusion is, is once they finish the <coughs> meditation, they go about stoking up more confusion. Do you, do you see? The first thing we have to know is that which makes for an awakening life, a life of bodhicitta, and that which does not, which degrades a life of development of bodhicitta. And for that, you're going to actually have to trust what? Teachers. Sorry, I know it's not a very Western idea, but you're actually going to have to trust the Dharma that 2,500 years of great masters who have devoted their lives to this have said exactly the same thing. You have to build a basis of wholesome states and activities and decrease the unwholesome, right? And look for the enlightenment mind. That's not mainstream activity, is it? We're looking for products. <laughs> Either better, cheaper products, right? A better golf club better golf ball that goes further. You know, you see, well, look at a golf magazine, it's great. I, I, I enjoy golf. I haven't played for a while, but I enjoy it. And I'm not a very good golf player. But look at a golf magazine. New golf ball, new product, the best on the market, goes another 20 yards. Better than the next one, it goes five extra yards. I mean, this is absurd. <laughs> if you can't hit the ball properly, it's not gonna help you. Yes, you can hit another 25 yards into the trees, but it doesn't help you. Yeah. Accuracy does. A good swing does. Fantastic. Yeah. So in the terms of Dharma, here's a, I've got a question for you, just a, kind of a, a Zen koan. Should I give you a Zen koan? Oh, wrong tradition, but anyways. <laughs> What's the proper golf swing in Dharma? Really, what's the right, you have to find the right swing and feel what that's like and know what that's like and not be confused about it. And just like golf or many other sports and many other crafts and many, many arts and sciences, you keep eliminating that which doesn't work through experience and learning. That's called mindfulness main meaning behind the word mindfulness, shmirti or sati, is learning. That's the main meaning. That's how the Buddha used it more, more of, most often. To learn, to remember, to recall. 
not presence. It's part of it. You have to be present to do that. The more you're present, yes, the more you can learn. But by the way, there's people that are present that don't learn. There's nothing happening between their two ears. Not really. So if you meditate and you study Dharma, the question is, are you learning? What are you learning? That which is wholesome. I'm just giving you a quote by the Buddha, by Guru Rinpoche, by great teachers. Do you know with clarity, uh, Dorje, and, and sorry, also, absolute clarity, do you know that which is wholesome from that which is unwholesome? People, oh, yeah, I just I want to meditate. I want to meditate as long as <coughs> But if you actually can't discern that which is on a wholesome activity or state and that which is wholesome, then as, as um, Guru Rinpoche said, what hope is there? Shall I give you a direct quote? If you can't accept and reject that and, and know, know that it's leading to liberation, then what hope is there? Yeah. Cool, isn't that? I think it's cool. You know, it's true. If we knew our minds, we knew our mind's nature, it's cleared up like that. According to the traditions, if we just know our, our, our truly our mind's nature, which means you don't stare at it. I mean, you have to know what this is. Then it cuts through all of it. So yes, in theory, to place your mind in a resplendent state of also dorje ningpo, is a direct route. But if you haven't sorted out that which is wholesome and that which is unwholesome, and that which is the path and that which is the goal of the path, you're never going to place your mind in a stainless place of purity long enough, that's called merit, strength, long enough for actually the resplendent mind of Osul Dorje Ningpo to manifest to the mind of the relative mind. It won't. bad lottery that's like that's a gambler and the house is uh, is not in favor of you winning so here's one you know with with Martin Luther King saying I've decided to stick with love hate is too great a burden to bear that's a profound statement it's it would be if we translate into into the world of a, a path of Dharma is the five poisons or the three poisons is actually takes too much energy to bear and love and compassion and bodhicitta is actually takes less wattage takes less energy to remain in the natural state we can just use that statement very clearly he realized it he clearly realized that love is uh, that, that hatred is a pain in the neck and love is just so easy for the state trooper love is very difficult much easier to hit someone in the head and get their way right in the 1960s because what are they they're very fearful of change to society which is blacks voting right that's that's a fear state and Martin Luther saying it's much easier to love a party 
So it turns out that bodhicitta is actually spontaneously, effortlessly there. But as long as the unwholesome states are there, it feels like it's a hard thing to do. Why? Why? This is, this is number one, you have to understand, what we're up against. Nothing but habit patterns. That's all. And the propaganda is huge. It's overwhelming. Why do, we, why do I promote people to go into retreats, out of cities, and into the country in, in a supportive place? Why? Because the propaganda in a city from cell phones, billboards, friends, family, radio, newspapers, uh, health food stores, you name it, work, is overwhelmingly bewildering. And the feed is huge. The feeding. Being by yourself or being in a group of practitioners is tremendously supportive because the feed, the food that you're getting every day is a different food. You see, it's just causal. It's purely causal. Purely causal. Well, we've <coughs> gotten through half the first page. Ah, he said something else is beautiful. Martin Luther King, darkness cannot drive <coughs> out darkness. It inspired me when I heard uh, President Obama's speech. I thought, oh, I'm going to look up some of Martin Luther King's. And I beautiful, had a beautiful interview of John Clark. I forget. I think it's John Clark. I think John Clark, the senator. On CBC, that was beautiful. <coughs> beautiful to listen to, and uh, he was quoting also from from Martin Luther King. So I'm gonna look up some quotes from Martin Luther King. Brilliant, brilliant genius. And uh, he said also, "Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that." So same thing. You you can't become enlightened, and other beings cannot become enlightened by the five poisons. It must be bodhicitta. And loving beings is beautiful support. You have to have that. You must have that. But uh, it is not a sufficient cause for liberation. You have to understand what the dilemma is. Why the suffering? That's all. So it would be lovely to have a whole month on Galliano. We've done that before, just loving kindness. Wouldn't that be a lovely thing to do? Loving kindness, loving kindness. It would be beautiful. Not. It's not enough food, sufficient food for liberation, but sufficient food to feel very good. But it will never be enough. People come back and say, what's wrong with me lately? Because the five poisons have not been eliminated. <coughs> the most wonderful loving people could turn around and hit you with a nightstick the next day because of some unresolved pattern or fear in their being that one doesn't know where it comes from <laughs> suddenly and go, what was that in me that I could do such a terrible thing to somebody else? Right? So uh, it's, uh, we should, we, maybe it'd be fun to give that out, but in New Scientist for the Christmas uh, edition of New Scientist, it had a whole section of short articles on who we are according to modern science. 
And the first one, the way, the way it starts, the first one is great. You're an asshole. <laughs> You're an asshole. That was the first article. And it said, have you seen what's been happening around the world, various pu public figures? Well, guess what? You have that in you, too. This is a, this is new scientist. It's wonderful. You, too, have, if you think you, oh, I don't have anything like that in me. I don't have this in me. Xenophobia, racism, all this stuff. Think again, right? Just maybe less. Right? Actually, removing that, that's a tall order. So uh, the uh, so bodhicitta <coughs> is nothing short of total purification of the five poisons, and I think uh, <coughs> a lot of number of Western Buddhists <coughs> forget that. Um, it's been pointed by by many great masters, but total purification of the five poisons spontaneously brings about bodhicitta. Why? There's nothing else in the mind. We're not talking about blank mind. We're not talking about a mind of insight. That doesn't necessarily do it. We're talking about the realization of the actual state of the enlightenment mind, not your insight. Not insight into transience, not insight into no self. Uh-uh. It's not going to do it. It doesn't do it. But the contemplation of what is the fully enlightened state, the fully enlightened state is endowed with both the realization of shunyata, of emptiness, and ultimate compassion at the same time. They're the same thing. That's very different. The core of Vajrayana, the core of Tantra, all these different figures and teachers speaking, all of it is the unity of emptiness and compassion. Not emptiness and compassion, they're the same nature. That's bodhicitta, the same nature. Same thing. So if you meditate on emptiness, which you really can't, but you can approach it. You can't meditate on emptiness. If you know what happens if you, you meditate on emptiness, what happens? There's no you meditating on emptiness anymore, believe me. There's awareness resting in awareness. And what kind of awareness would that be? An infinite expanse of compassion for sentient beings who are bewildered by not knowing that their minds and all phenomena are intrinsically naturally free without trying to do anything at all. Wouldn't that bring about compassion? Could you imagine? And I think you've all done this. I think every single person in the room has done this. Where somebody close to you or somebody a little distant from you has been doing something that's a bit crazy or demented or 
full of poisons and you just held their hand or you know you don't have to do that everything's gonna be okay you don't have to do that right imagine could you imagine saying to, to people you don't have to be bewildered you don't actually have to maintain a whole day of the five poisons it's not necessary and happiness by the way is one of the five poisons Rel relative happiness it's just desire mind for some desirable object which then vanishes to find another desirable object why are those why are, why aren't those lights brighter maybe we better go get some brighter candles no they're too bright we better get some dimmer candles Whatever it is, it can happen all day long. Just the croissant wasn't that good. Uh, better go get another one. And so on and so on. Right? So you'll see that once we contemplate bodhicitta in the uh, right, the, the preliminary liberating instructions of the of the. Uh, the Dzogchen tradition, uh, like the other uh, foundation practices, the next practice is Vajrasattva. Why? Clarity. Not just clarity, utter purity, mm -hmm. utter feeling of entouchment. So what is the sign of Vajrasattva? Some people say, so what's the meditation sign? Give me the meditation sign. What's the meditation sign? I want to know what that meditation sign is. No, a feeling of what it's like, even for a moment, but then you have to learn. <laughs> a feeling for even a fraction of a second of what it feels like to be utterly washed, pure, clean. And go, okay, I have my reference standard. That's the body, speech, and mind of Vajrasattva. That's why it comes after the Bodhicitta. It says, also Dorje Ningpo. Vajrasattva is also Dorje Ningpo manifest. And who is Vajrasattva? One's inner nature. Not yourself. It sometimes often says yourself. You know, meditate inseparably with yourself. No. Your self nature. It's short for self nature. Who actually are you? So you scientists is wrong. Sorry, I'm going to dispute that with the editors, new science wrong. Actually, you're not an asshole. I'm not an asshole. Innately, we're also Dorje Ningpo. That's our natural state. Only conditioning makes you assholes. You know, there are people, I have read this, I've met them too, but there are people, not probably in the room here, but you might hold, you might hold some of this, there are people, especially a lot of them <coughs> south of the border of Southern Canada, who fundamentally believe that every single human being is a bad being. It's a, it, by the way, it's political and it's religious. Flawed, originally bad being that needs to be controlled and needs uh, protection from itself. Some of you in the room hold a different belief. Very different political, political, emotional, mental belief, which is what? Beings are basically good. And given the right environment, on the right circumstance, the right learning, they'll actually grow to be good. 
Isn't that some? That's also the basis for Dharma. Very liberal attitude. And there's people that are pushing back against that liberal attitude. Why do I hate it? It's very threatening. Very threatening. All beings are good under the right, given the right circumstances, the right conditioning factors. And that's Dharma. So here's a question for you. Big question. And I mean, it's, a, it's an important question, but it's also something you can work on all day long. What are the right conditioning factors supportive for the emergence of an enlightened mind? That's the path. That's the path. What holds a person, or a creature, but let's talk about humans, what holds a human in the right environmental circumstances so the inner and outer change of a life, so the oso doje ningpo, the a clear, indestructible radiance of the nucleus of the enlightened mind is present, is manifest. So now take a look at this room. The environment has been altered by what's called technically a meditative support or a dharma support, dharma supports, for the purposes of affecting the inner environment by holding the outer environment in a certain shape. I guarantee that the car that you drive in shapes you. If you drive in that car for many hours a day, the type of car shapes you in innumerable ways. You think it's innocent. It's not innocent. Driving a Ford Falcon is different than driving a Porsche. Not necessarily good or bad. It's going to shape you. Your rooms in your apartment or your house shape you. The friends you associate with shape you. Your partner shapes you. The food you eat shapes you interdependent on your lifetime and genetics and so on of habit patterns. So the path is very clear. Strong shaping influence to get in to the habit patterns which are uh, lifetimes. Right? Lifetimes. What's that feeling? Better answer it right now. Everybody turn off cell phone? I didn't. Not as close as that. No, I, but, but did everybody turn off their cell phones? Yes. Good. Great. So, Bodhicitta, one of the great statements about Bodhicitta <clears throat> that you'll read over and over again is that Bodhicitta, this is good to, to write down, is that Bodhicitta um, naturally contains both method and wisdom. It's called Lundra, simultaneously. Did that Lundra. At the same moment, genuine bodhicitta has both the method and the wisdom simultaneously. So when you see all these figures with right and left hands holding different implements, one is called the method side, one's called the wisdom side. And that's what that is. They all hold a method and they all hold the uh, sphere, pointing to the sphere of total um, wisdom. Uh, nature. 
having wisdom without method is insufficient. Having method without wisdom is insufficient. We need both. And they must be uh, um, spontaneous, uh, easeful. <coughs> Bless you. As it says in the, in the uh, sutra called The Tent of the Lotus Heart, a great Mahayana sutra, it says aspiring for the welfare, that means the ultimate welfare, of sentient beings is the shortcut to perfect Buddhahood. In other words, if you don't have bodhicitta, it doesn't lead to Buddhahood. It leads to nice states, it leads to some insightful states, but does not necessarily contain the method, nor does it contain the full scope of wisdom. And that's fine. It's a very clear statement. And we need more than aspiration. We need engagement. So this book, A Jewel on Liberation, is very clear on two types of bodhicitta. Aspiration bodhicitta and engagement bodhicitta. If we don't have engagement, we uh, aren't doing anything. It's one thing to say, I wish for all sentient beings to be liberated. That's the wish. That's aspiration. It's not engagement. We need both. We need incredible aspiration. Hundreds of thousands of times, over and over and over, to have it sink in. And we need engagement. So as it says in the way of the Bodhisattva, quote, in brief, you should understand there are two types of bodhicitta, the mindset that aspires to enlightenment and the mindset that actually engages. See? So we need practices and we need activities that engage and, it, and activities that inspire or bring us to constantly remember, I must do this. This is really valuable. So uh, I'm going to end shortly. You can have uh, hopefully some questions. But... Um, one thing I want to bring you over and over again is uh, having faith, confidence, trust that bodhicitta is natural to the intrinsic mind. It's only hard work because the habit patterns don't know that. The, the reason you're here is your primordial mind knows that. That's what drives you. The greater you're in touch with the primordial mind, I don't even, you, by the way, you don't have to be a super meditator. You just need to be a sincere Dharma practitioner. As, as, as Tulku Fonda, wonderful modern um, uh, historian of the Nyingma tradition and, and practitioner, teacher, uh, as he said in a, in a book, uh, much better that there be a sincere practitioner than so-called many high realizations. Sincere practitioner understands bodhicitta. A being of many high realizations may not actually, may have many wondrous experiences, but may not have a strong bodhicitta. There's lots of light, lots of experiences, but not necessarily bodhicitta. Very rare. Therefore, we contemplate bodhicitta innumerable ways over and over and over and over. So the foundation of the path is the contemplation of bodhicitta. The middle of the path 
is bodhicitta. And the fruition, the path, is what? Bodhicitta, the natural, luminous manifestation of bodhicitta that is the way the unobstructed mind is in its natural state. Not insight. I got insight. Yeah, you got. If you have insight, then you don't have insight. Everybody says, "I got insight. I had an insight." <laughs> you don't have an insight. Even if you said, "I have compassion," would be, would be a misnomer. Mind doesn't even have compassion. It can't. There can be natural. radiance of compassion but to have compassion must mean you, you our habit patterns must really be out of the way it must really be out of the way otherwise sure it's relative I've given you something thank you very much and now you're happy right good good so I think that's plenty for this morning and we'll just go uh, deeper deeper into into this um, and, and also some meditation practices. I'd like to give you um, some practices for this, uh, like this morning, a beautiful practice. Uh, how do you practice this beautiful um, meditation of, of bodhicitta? Uh, you can call it Tonglen, but there is a, a practice of Tonglen, which is, which is extraordinary, is, is what I gave this morning, is practicing your appearance uh, as a Buddha figure, because you have to put the causal seeds of becoming Buddha, not you. It's very important. So, appearance emptiness, so you appear as a Buddha. I don't care what it is, it doesn't matter. As long as it has the signs and marks of, 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 Buddha, of a Buddha, any, any of these Yidams, 100 Yidams, and uh, uh, your, your uh, root teacher, teachers, or root teacher above your head, and um, breathing out as a Buddha uh, of infinite dimensions. Breathing out light of liberation, rainbow light, white light, liberation, and seeing more and more beings. You can start with 10, you can start with the people in this room, and then you can see 20 and 30 and 40, well, there's 20, but 50, 60, 100, try to actually conceive of what that's like. All of Vancouver, all of Canada, all of the United States, all of North America, all of Central America, just keep on going. Hundreds of thousands of beings uh, um, ingesting, absorbing the light of Buddha wisdom, not you, your Buddha radiance, and breathing back all their poisons and toxins, confusions, and because it's the nature of emptiness, it can be absorbed infinitely. because it dissolves like water into water, space into space. It's only conceptual. Therefore, you can take on more and more and more and more of it because it isn't. Tell that to somebody who's really going through it, eh? <laughs> I'm going through hell. My life has come apart completely. Nothing. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. Not, not always a compassionate thing to say. Sometimes you have to get in the trenches and show people after a while that, that the, the trench has lots of space. So uh, uh, 
do you have any uh, questions about this? So we're just we're going to go. I'd like to practice that meditation more and more with you and expand it. And um, on the Saturday morning, uh, a transmission of a, an extraordinary practice um, called the Sun Moon Amulet uh, Longevity and Deathless Practice, Deathlessness Practice from the Yangtze, and give that transmission. Um, but uh, here, uh, basically, a mod some mo a modification, a very uh, elegant way, if you wish, and they're all elegant, but uh, of, of practicing Tonglen mm, through the through daily yoga. So any any questions that you may may have on this one? Gotten rid of all the personal questions? Uh, go ahead, Saskia. I'm not sure focus on relinquishing Bodhicitta focuses on fruition and course of liberation for all beings. And then you said course path. I'm a bit confused. Uh, yes, the fruition is has the path. So so um, it's causal. So so what are the stages and steps of the path? So instead of trying to just jump, right? Hold the mind uh, in a resplendent manner without clinging or fixation. Most beings, 99.9% .9 of beings cannot do that. They didn't have the merit, and they don't have the stage of the path to be able to actually do that. As some pe people said to me, so what's the meditation? That is the meditation. No, no, what is the meditation? Your mind. No, no, could you give us a meditation? No, no, your mind as it is. That's not fair. It's fair to some, but not to many. So beings need a path. You have to actually understand the path that has the fruition in it. Vajrayana is the, called the path and the fruit. It's got the fruition in the means, always built in. Just like, so for instance, if you meditate on you practicing Tonglen, you can't. Mm -hmm. It's not the cause for liberation. It's the cause for you having more you. If you practice as the resplendent nature of the fully endowed Buddha body, visualizing and sounding, and mentally, then it is the it is the uh, fruition uh, in the cause. Does that make sense? All Vajrayana is taught that way. Yeah. All Vajrayana is taught that way. Buddha nature is intrinsic to your mind, therefore you start by practicing as if you were a Buddha. If you practice as you, you get more you. You might get a freer you. You might even get a nicer you. You might get a more insightful you. But it won't lead to seeds of Buddha nature. So therefore, we start right from the very beginning doing that. And that's what he meant by that. So as you're practicing the path, you're always holding that is to fruition. That's You're holding both exactly together. right. No matter mm -hmm. who so you it's not are, not somewhere out there. Not somewhere out there. It's intrinsic, and therefore you have to embody it. Hmm? Let me give you an example. I think I've given this, but I'm going to give another example, slight variation of what I normally give. Just think think of it this way. If you had your own business, and you're the CEO or the director of your business, right? You own your business. To have in your mind stream all the time, I'm not really the owner. I could never do this. 
I will be hopeless. You know, I, uh, I, I'm unworthy. And I'm actually kind of pretender. I'm, I'm the CEO, but I'm a pretender. I just kind of got here somehow. And I, I really, if you have that, that's the actual pattern of causality. But if you have the pattern which says, I can do this, I'm entitled to do it, I will do it, and actually have every means of doing it, that, that kind of attitude, then you can. That's actually the fruition. Therefore, you place where you're going as your embodiment. As your embodiment. What was the guy on, at 2 o'clock in the morning that was telling people how to be rich? What was his name um, for years back in the 70s and 80s? What was his name? Um, I forget his name, but at 2 o'clock in the morning, you'd, you'd watch this television program. He'd be convincing you to sign up for this, all these DVDs and things about how to become rich and wealthy. And behind him are yachts and um, um, big houses in Boca Rotan, and you too can be wealthy and powerful. Well, he's doing the same thing, saying you have to put in your mind where you're going. You have to build it up so that you're actually, everything you do in life uh, opens the door for that. He's right, T Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins, yeah. he's right, except that's for accumulating money. In this case, we're accumulating all the seeds one needs for the mind that's intrinsic to come out and manifest. And if you don't do that, then it's a, as the teachings say, in innumerable places, it's a, it's, it takes eons. <coughs> and an eon is a long time, it's about 15 billion years. So you don't want to do that. So going gradually, I'm no good, I'm just gonna slowly accumulate some goodness in my being. It's a very slow process when the being is already good. <laughs> the being is actually stainlessly perfected right now. That should bring you to compassion. That's the Adam's mind. That's the Adam's speech. That's the deity's speech. That's the deity's mind. That's the deity's body. It's already utterly there. It just can't be seen because it's not purified. It's not something you get. It's something you expose. Like a cold. Most, most of us don't get colds. We expose the viruses we already have. of cold viruses in us, just waiting, including herpes and every other kind of thing, just waiting to come out on the right environmental circumstances. In this case, we're trying to create the right environmental circumstances for what to come out? Not herpes, not, you know, <laughs> Buddha nature, Buddha nature. And that takes confidence. That actually really takes confidence. And strength. So therefore, we need to build our strength and we need to build our confidence to see that um, so that it actually begins to come. And, and that is a big uh, realization, a dividing line, is when a person actually has the confidence to go, I know this to be the case. I may not be there, but I absolutely trust this to be the case. How do you know? How do you know? You can see it. It's there. 
there a, a do I have a mind? Yes. Or is it just part of a bigger mind? It, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. No, you actually don't have a mind. That's only David. No, I'm just that's a joke. That really is. I, 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 that was great. No, it was a good it was a good setup, so I couldn't resist. Uh, no, you don't, but but everybody else does. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the the causal point actually is Buddha nature. It can't be done without Buddha nature being already inherently present. Otherwise, it's just a game. It's a put on. This is just a put on. Just get out of here and and don't don't look back. But actually, the entire basis, that's the technical word, basis ground, is Buddha nature. And it's not your Buddha nature. You're just popping up in the middle of it. That's all. In that sense, you have a mind, but you actually don't have anything you're ever going to find because it's totally pervasive mind. <coughs> it just manifests under the right conditions as an, an appearance of an individual causation, which is true, but it's relative. Let me give an example. When one dreams at night, everybody dream? Yeah. Everybody have me memories of dreams? Okay. Do you ever have more than one person in a dream? Yep. Trees? Objects? Houses? Cars? People, places, things? Yes? Have you all had this? How can you have that when there's only one mind dreaming? And they have all their own individual existences, don't they, while, they're, while you're dreaming? Yeah? Isn't that cool? And there's only one mind dreaming. And it certainly feels absolutely real that there's all these people in a room, sitting in a room, on McDonald Street, for a Dharma talk, and yet there isn't. There's just pervasive mind manifesting due to cause and conditions and popping out little pop-outs, which is what we are. Appearance pop-outs. Very real, very lovely, fantastic manifestations of lives and stories and everything else, but mind. And that's the causal condition for bodhicitta. That's how it happens. But what triggers it, what gets the person to make that leap, which is my question to Namjoon Rinpoche, what, what gets that triggered so it comes becomes conscious? Yeah? Which you have. It's great. Congratulations. Merit. Pardon? Merit. Merit. Yeah. Yeah. But it has to be the right conditions. Right conditions. Because life can swamp you over. It's bewildering. And that, by the way, that was ancient Tibet, ancient India. Totally bewildering. Life can just sweep you away with so much conditioning. And that bodhicitta, that heart of bodhicitta gets buried. It's a wonderful story. Wonderful story in a book uh, which is the life story of Urgen Tulku Rinpoche called Blazing, Blazing Awake? No, Blazing Splendor. Splendor. Beautiful book, Blazing Splendor. Go, go read it. Fantastic book. I loved it. I've read it, I think, three times. Beautiful book and full of instructions, but also things to learn. One of the things is one of, I believe, one of, Ergen Tulku Rinpoche's distant relatives was a really high incarnate lama, recognized from a child as an incarnate lama, as they do. Yeah. Okay. And he turned out he liked to fight, he liked to be a bandit, and he liked to carry guns, and he liked to go with his buddies as a cowboy and shoot and kill and maim and everything else. This was a very highly recognized Tulku with bodhicitta recognized. Yeah. 
It's a great story. It's just and it's so perfectly told. And he had a great teacher. His teacher was such an, such an awakened being. And his teacher goes, what are you doing? He gets these teachings. He gets these transmissions. He's, he has to. He has to receive all these things because he's always told it. <coughs> and the, ki the, the kid, the young adult's going out. I love to hunt. And I love being a bandit. He's really into this, right? And somewhere around the age of 21, 22, he comes to a teaching, and he's, he's a bandit, right? And uh, he's listening to Dharma, and he says, Whap! <coughs> what am I doing? And that's it. It's just the force of bodhicitta came back. And after that, he just dropped it all. <laughs> Dharma teacher. <laughs> it just <laughs> like this. But that, even in Tibet, that's the swamp of conditioning. Now think of, uh, of us. And that's with a teacher from a young age, all these things, just buried, just swamped by conditioning. And that, by the way, that can be a monastery, that can be a city, it can be a town, all kinds of things. It's happened. You read the, the biography, Mingar, uh, uh, Mingar Rinpoche, young Mingar Tulku, almost didn't make it. His, grand, his grandfather, his father, well, I think was a drunkard, and his grandfather took over, something like that, and didn't want him to go off with... Uh, Chegman Rinpoche. I mean, it was a, it was a hard battle. And if it hadn't happened, Chegman Rinpoche said, "This kid probably would have died." So you you, you see, it's the swamp, really the swamp. And I don't mean in a negative way. I love swamps. I've got one behind my house and one in front. But the the swamp, the heaviness of conditioning, with every excuse not to practice and everything else. Is, is enormous, not just for us in this society, but has been through all societies. Mm -hmm. Therefore, one has to be uh, here, Dharma. One has to practice, one has to hear, one has to be reminded of the sources of refuge, of the, the guru, the yadam, the meditation deity, and the rakini, right here. The three, sor the three uh, inner sources of refuge. Over and over and over and over and over and over, like Antrim Pashi says, oh man, I love hearing good dharma. I love, I don't care who, whether they have short hair or long hair. <laughs> I love hearing pure, beautiful dharma. I mean, this is, this is, this is really it. We all need this. Dalai Lama too, by the way, goes and seeks out teaching from different teachers, empowerments and transmissions, right? Just because you may have some great realization doesn't mean you, you, don't, you don't stop uh, um, gathering uh, merit and uh, skill and means and, and uh, great, greater capacity to love and support beings. So this is really it, swamp. And you'll see, I, I see this with students all the time, going through their phases where they, they fall away, they do this kind of life, you know, very busy, and then they go, what happened? Can I do some stuff? I really want to study and practice Dharma. And it's just, it's like that. It's just overwhelmingly difficult. I understand that. Like the other day, someone said, I, I, I got to go. You know, this, this retreat's really tough for me. Yeah, you can go. You'll do what you always do. You can go. And you're going to, you'll come back. And a year later, you're saying, I can't believe I'm on a retreat. And, and, and two weeks later, you're saying, you want to do a three-year retreat. And you're going to want to leave because it's tough. I said, you either face it <laughs> or you leave. And that's while they're in retreat. And if they don't have a voice of the teacher, the reason, the trust of the teacher, 
they will leave and they will do whatever they think they need with every concocted story, right, to get ready for the next retreat because they're not ready. And all it is is fear. Just simply fear <coughs> and not wanting to be uh, unfolding. Just doing something else that's the swamp. That's while in retreat. And everybody that goes in retreat faces that. Milarepa, Gampopa, Marpa, they all face that. All of us <coughs> face it. Because the swamp's big. And the stories are big. And yet in that swamp, in, in that ancient swamp of habit patterns and stories, interspersed, intermingled, absolutely the same nature is Buddha nature. Which is why you can tell somebody who's a, a, a good student, don't give in to that. And they go, oh yeah, what was it? Yeah. Right? Why? Because it's inherent. They go, oh my goodness, did I fall for that? Yeah, you did. In retreat, every story will be told to yourself of why you shouldn't be there and why you shouldn't practice and something that's much more important to you. Guaranteed. Scrambled eggs. Got to have scrambled eggs right now. I got to go for a long walk today and I got to go visit those people. And I mean, You'll say every, every imaginable story, but to actually look at what this is. Because the habit pattern says don't. What's the strongest habit pattern? Bodhi Chitta, the stronger, which is why you're here and not out there. <coughs> you know, you could be having a cappuccino, you could be having a lovely croissant, you could be having a beautiful, there's so many restaurants in Vancouver, wonderful restaurant with each other, and dining, and a, a glass of very good wine, maybe go to a theater, uh, go to a movie, you could be uh, going to the art gallery. There's an infinite number of things to do that are just, aren't they lovely? And here you are listening to Bodhicitta. You're not here to listen to Bodhicitta. Bodhicitta is here to listen to Bodhicitta. That's what's driving. The wisdom mind is much smarter. It's just so you let it come out. And part of this is letting it come out in the face of habit patterns. Oh, oh, I don't want to. Yes, you do. No, I don't. <laughs> and you'll face that. You'll know exactly what that's like. You'll know exactly what that's like. And hopefully you've got a good teacher around to remind you, actually, you're just squirming. Go back to the mat and, and let yourself squirm and don't worry about it. But I'm squirming. It's too hot, it's too cold. It's not right, it's wrong, whatever it is, you know? Go back. And let yourself squirm, but keep focusing on what? The enlightenment mind. That's all it is. Until it pops out. And once it pops out, you need confidence. And if it pops out enough, then you know. That becomes your life. That becomes now your practice. Mind. You have to be held in a container for it to pop out. And then once you're held in the container, it pops out, then you need more containers. more containers to squeeze out the bodhicitta drops until they're 
totally, utterly right. Okay, I think I'll leave it there today. That's, that's, that's plenty, plenty, plenty. Let's, uh, let's repeat that, um, and we'll make some dedications. Uh, let's repeat that beautiful um, um, contemplation of Bodhicitta. I, I, I tell you, I could just read this all day long. I sometimes do. I, I just love it. I also like the chanting of it. And let's make a dedication. Namo Bahagwan Sugatos, that is all the awakened beings, the ten directions, the three times, gurus, devas, the three jewels. All infinite victors, as many as grains of dust in the field. All of you, please listen and pay heed to me. From now on, as much virtue as the virtuous actions performed by my and others' body, speech, and mind, equal to space, accumulated throughout the three times, and the stainless virtue existing from the beginning, is dedicated to gathering the expanse of awakening, and having arrived at the state of knowledge of the victors and their children, may the state of knowledge of the Sugatos be totally perfected. Great stages pervaded by the demonstration of the wheel of knowledge and liberation. May the holders of those stages, having perfected their activities, carry happiness to the world and dharma to all migrating beings. And may yogins be satisfied with the glory of the ten virtues, having purified all the suffering of samsara of the six causes. May we quickly obtain omniscience of complete Buddhahood. And now the aspiration. Depending on the force of the accumulated roots of virtue, arising from amazing connections of cause and condition. This is our favorite teaching. It's good. Ooh, it's sinking in. May the sentient beings of three times who exist in samsara, having actualized the ultimate knowledge of their own awareness, perfecting all stages of primordial wisdom, through the conduct of Samantabhadra Bodhisattva, abide in the supreme space free of obscurations, without objectifying the meaningful benefit of others, According to the capacity of the disciples, the reign of Dharma falls corresponding with their interest. Having ripened disciples in the state of three Vajras, may they obtain Buddhahood in the vast dimension of Buddha Samantabhadra. In this life, the life that is conditioned and permanent and empty, the constituents of the five elements are complete as a Buddha field of five families. Having arisen the form of the Guru of Odiana in the Bardo, may all sentient beings led by those with one whom has positive and negative connections immediately go to the Kachari abode, the pure land abode of Dakini. Having ripened and liberated the whole range of disciples, through many emanations, appearances of one's own primordial wisdom, may they all obtain the unsurpassed ultimate result. Mangalam Saramangalam Saramangalam. Treasure of Nudendorje, the great Nudendorje. Well, it's actually Yang's up treasure, but his his writing of the uh, lunars. Okay, see you later. And uh, this evening at what time is it? Seven thirty. Yep. See you back at seven thirty.